In today's episode, you will be learning about some tax deductions, secrets of making appointments, and a new IBM chip, all coming up on episode 25 of the Taylor Merrick Podcast, sponsored by GoDaddy.com. Welcome to the Taylor Merrick Podcast, the three-in-one podcast on finances, business, and technology. Podcasting to you from the studios of TaylorMerrick.com, located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Here's your host, Taylor Merrick. Oh, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Taylor Merrick Podcast. If you're a first-time listener, glad to have you here. And if you have any questions, any comments, any ideas at any time, please give our toll-free number a call. That is 1-866-TMP. 2860. You can also email me by using the contact me form located on the taylormerrick.com website. Just click on the contact me button when you get there. I would like to remind you of a goal that the Taylor Merrick podcast has for raising $70 for new sound effects. In today's episode, episode 25, which has been sponsored by GoDaddy.com, for finances you'll be learning about some tax deductions, for business, some secrets of making appointments, and for technology, it'll be a new IBM chip. I started catering as a side business. And of course I wanted to succeed, so I got a domain name and a website from GoDaddy.com. I registered Ansolites.com. Just buy any other hot internet product and your .com is just $1.99. I worried that getting set up on the internet would be difficult. But GoDaddy made it a cinch. Thanks to my .com name from GoDaddy, my business is smoking! Right now, when you buy any other of GoDaddy's hot internet products, you get your .com for just $1.99. Plus, enter code POD11 when you check out and save 10% on your web hosting order. Just go to www.godaddy.com. It's okay. It's smoked turkey. It's supposed to be like that. So to get started into finances, well, tax season is coming upon us. If you've already filled out your taxes for the year, good. <laughs> if you haven't and you're still trying to make it before the deadline, here are some standard deductions. That may seem simple, but in reality, well, there are some things to consider. Well, before you start on this, review last year's return to see if you claim the standard deduction and assemble all of your records so that potential itemized deductions of that, so that you can determine if the standard deduction is for you. Well, the first thing is uh, claiming the standard deduction. On your 2006 Form 1040, 1040A, or 1040EZ, if you're allowed a standard deduction, the automatic deduction you may claim 
regardless of your expense. Great thing about the standard deduction is that it reduces your adjusted gross income (AGI), thus lowering your overall tax bill. However, don't just take the standard deduction and walk away. You should only choose it if it exceeds the itemized deductions that can be claimed on Schedule A of your 1040 return. Basic standard deduction is allowed if you are under age 65 and not blind. The amount is adjusted each year to reflect inflation. For 2006, the basic standard deduction is $10,300 if married and filing jointly or qualifying widow or widower. $7,550 if, if filing as head of household. $5,150 if single and $5,150 if married and you're filing separately. A married person filing separately must itemize deductions and may not claim any standard deduction if the other spouse itemizes on a separate return. Second one is the husband and wife filing separate returns. If you and your spouse file separate returns in 2006 and neither of you is a qualifying head of household, you must claim itemized deductions or limit yourselves to a standard deduction of 5150 each. You must both make the same election when one of your you itemizes, the other is not entitled to any standard deduction. That is, if your spouse itemized deductions exceeding 5150 and he likes to itemize, you must also itemize even if your itemized deductions are less than 5150. Then there's a standard deduction if you're 65 or older or you're blind. Standard deduction is provided for those. The larger deduction for blindness is allowed regardless of age. Age and blindness are determined as of December 31st, 2006. However, if your 65th birthday is January 1st, 2007, the IRS treats you as reaching age 65 on the last day of 2006, allowing you to claim the standard deduction for those age 65 or over on your 2006 return. Your total standard deduction consists of two parts. One, the basic standard deduction shown well, for your filing status, plus an extra standard deduction for being age 65 or older or blind. The amount of the extra deduction for 2006 is 1250 if you're filing as single or head of household and $1,000 if you're married. Whether filing jointly or separately, or your filing is a qualifying widow or widower. If you are married and filing separately, you may claim the standard deduction only if your spouse also claims the standard deduction on his or her return. Now, for total or partial blindness, an additional standard deduction is allowed to a person who is completely blind as of December 31st, 2006. You also qualify if you are partially blind and attach a letter certified by your doctor stating that you cannot see better than 2200 in your better eye with lenses or that your field of vision is 20 degrees or less. Keep a copy of this letter. If the certification states that your vision will never improve beyond these limits, you will not have to file a new certification in later years. You will only have to attach a statement referring to the earlier certification. And the last one, standard deduction for dependents. If someone can claim you as a dependent for 2006, your standard deduction is determined under the following rules. You may elect to itemize deductions if these exceed the allowable standard deduction. If you are married and your spouse itemizes on a separate return, you must itemize. Dependent under 60, age 65 and not blind. If you can be claimed as another taxpayer's dependent for 2006, your standard deduction is the greater of 850 or earned income plus 300. 
but no more than a basic standard deduction for your flank status. Dependents of age 65 or older are blind. Your standard deduction for 2006 is a total of two steps. First, the greater of 850 or earned income plus 300 plus step two, $1,000 if you are married or a qualifying widow or widower for $1,250 if single or head of household. If you're age 65 or older and you are also blind, multiply the applicable figure 1,000 or 1,250 by 2. In summary, the standard deduction is an automatic deduction you may claim regardless of your actual expenses. For 2006, the basic standard deduction is 10300 if married and filing jointly or qualifying widow or widower. 7550 if filing as head of household, 5150 if single, and 5150 if married filing separately. If you and your spouse file separate returns for 2006, and neither of you is a qualifying head of household, you must both claim itemized deductions or limit yourselves to a standard deduction of 5150 each. A larger standard deduction is provided for persons who are age 65 or older or who are blind. And if you can be claimed as a dependent on another person's return in 2006, special rules apply to your standard deduction. And of course, you can find out all about the information about this by going to the IRS's website. If you have any questions that were brought up, please give our toll-free line a call at one 866 TMP 2860. I'll be glad to help clear it up, and you might even be played on the next show, and I will answer the question for you on the show. But that will wrap it up for finances. This podcast is proudly listed at the best podcasting directory on the internet podcastpickle.com We now return you to your regularly scheduled download already in progress. This podcast is part of the Blueberry Network. You can find this and other fine podcasts at blueberry.com That's blueberry without the E's. Today in business, I'm sure you're wondering what the secret is of making appointments and Frank Betcher has the answer. He says, I have been going to the same barber every week for the past 31 years, a little Italian named Ruby Day. An uncle started him out as an apprentice when he was only nine years old. He was so short he had to stand on a stool. Ruby's customers think he is probably one of the world's best barbers. In addition, he's a ray of sunshine. In spite of these qualities, back in 1927, Ruby was going downhill fast. His business had become so bad, and he was so low financially, he couldn't pay his rent for four months, and the owner of the building where he had his little one-man shop was threatening to throw him out. One Friday afternoon, while he was cutting my hair, I noticed that he looked ill. I asked him what was wrong, and finally he confessed to me the awful fix he was in. On top of all this, his wife had just given birth to a new baby boy, Ruby Jr. While we were talking, another customer stopped in and wanted to know how soon he could get fixed up. Ruby assured him it wouldn't be long, so reluctantly the customer sat down and began reading one of the magazines. I said, Ruby, why don't you work by appointment? Oh, Mr. Betcher, he replied, I can't work by appointment. People won't make an appointment with a barber. Why not, I asked. That's all right for a doctor or a lawyer, he said, but people just won't make an appointment with a barber. I don't know why not, I insisted. I thought the same thing about my business until another salesman convinced me it was the only way to work. 
Your customers like your work, Ruby, and they like you, but they don't like to wait. I'll bet this man here would be glad to make an appointment with you for a definite time each week, wouldn't you? Sure, nodded the customer. He and Ruby quickly agreed on a standing date each week. There you are, I said enthusiastically. Now put me down for eight every Friday morning. The next day, Ruby had an appointment book and began calling up his old customers, many of whom hadn't been in his shop for months. Gradually, he was able to get that appointment book dated up with a full schedule, and his financial worries became a thing of the past. For twenty years now, he had worked exclusively by appointment. He trained his customers to expect it. They like it that way because it saves them time. Today, R.B. Day owns his beautiful little home outright at 919 Fox Chase Road, Hollywood, Pennsylvania and he gives you the impression of being a substantial happy businessman. I told this story one night in the sales school we were conducting in Pasadena, California. There was a taxi driver in the school. At the close of the week, he came backstage to see us and said, I'm a businessman now. We asked him what he meant. Well, he said, after I heard that talk on Tuesday night, I thought if a barber was able to make appointments, I should try it. Next morning, I took the president of a large company over to Glendale to clutch a train. Driving over, I asked him how long he would be away. He said he'd be coming back the same night and agreed to let me take him home. That night he seemed pleased as I let him off at his home and gave me a nice tip. I found out that he made this trip every week and sometimes found it hard to get a taxi. So I made a set date for this same job each week. Besides, he gave me names of other executives of his company for me to call for appointments. When I phoned, I told them I was calling at the suggestion of their president. By making these calls, I got two other jobs the following morning. Today, I bought an appointment book, and I'm going to build a list of regular jobs like your barber did. Now I feel like a businessman. I made this same suggestion to my haberdasher. Soon, most of his customers were coming in by definite appointment. These men found just what I found, and thousands of others in almost every line of business have found. People prefer to work by appointment. Number one, it saves time, helps eliminate a lot of the tragic waste of our time most salesmen worry about. Likewise, it saves the customer's time. Number two, by asking for an appointment, we let the customer know we realize he is busy. Instinctively, he places more value on our time. When I have an appointment, I get a better hearing, and a man has more respect for what I say. Number three, it makes each call an event. An appointment raises the salesman out of the class of a peddler. My roommate, Miller Huggins, was noted in baseball for being a great leadoff man because he got on base so often. By getting on base so often, naturally, he scored more runs on average than most other players. In selling, I found that making appointments is like getting on the base. The foundation of sales lies in getting interviews, and the secret of getting good, attentive, courteous interviews is in selling appointments. Appointments are much easier to sell than radios, vacuum cleaners, books, or insurance. After I got that clear in my mind, a great relief came over me. I stopped swinging for a home run. I merely tried to get on first base. When I phone someone I know, I simply ask for the appointment and usually get it without being questioned. But if it is someone I have never met, he invariably asks, What is it you want to see me about? There is a critical moment of the approach. As sure as I indicate I, that I want to sell something, I'm licked right there, and the chances of getting an appointment later are ruined. The truth of it is, I may not know whether he needs what I am selling, so the purpose of an appointment is merely for a discussion. Yet, even to this day, I must be on my guard not to allow myself to be drawn into a sales talk on the phone. I must concentrate on one thing and one thing alone, selling an appointment. Let me give you a typical example. The other day I was able to get a man on the phone who had been traveling on business by plane at the rate of more than 10,000 miles every month. 
Here's our conversation. Me. Mr. Ellie, my name is Betcher. Frank Betcher. Friend of Richard Flicker. You remember Dick, don't you? Ellie. Yes. Mr. Ellie, I am a life insurance salesman. Dick suggested that I ought to know you. I know you're busy, but I wonder if I may see you for about five minutes one day this week. Well, what did you want to see me about? Insurance? I just loaded up with more insurance a few weeks ago. Well, that's all right, Mr. Alley. If I try to sell you anything, it'll be your fault, not mine. May I see you for a few minutes tomorrow morning? Say, around 9 o'clock? Well, I have an appointment for 9.30. Well, if I take longer than five minutes, it'll be your fault, not mine. All right. You better make it 9.15. Thank you, Mr. Alley. I'll be there. Next morning, as I shook hands with him in his office, I took out my watch and said, You've got another appointment at 9.30, so I'm going to limit myself to exactly five minutes. I went through my questions as briefly as I could. When my five minutes were gone, I said, Well, my five minutes are up. Is there anything else you would like to tell me, Mr. Alley? And for the next ten minutes, Mr. Alley told me all that I really wanted to know about him. I've had some men keep me as long as an hour over my five minutes telling me all about themselves, but it's never my fault. It's theirs. I know many successful salesmen who do not work by definite appointment when calling on their regular customers, but in questioning these salesmen, I find they have regular days to call, and usually at about the same time of day. In other words, they are expected. They won't come into the office. There used to be a sign on our office wall with those words in large print. I always believed it too, until I heard Harry Wright, a dynamic salesman from Chicago, talk at a meeting one night. Harry discovered that they will come into the office. I close 65% of my business in my own office, he said. I always suggest my office for the appointment, explaining that there will be no interruptions and we can conclude our business there more quickly and satisfactorily. At first I was afraid of it, but I was surprised to find that many men preferred it that way. When they come into my office, I never permit any interruptions. If my phone rings, I answer something like this. Oh, hello, Vernon. Are you going to be there for a little while? May I call you back in about 20 minutes? I've got someone here and don't want to hold him up. Thanks, Vernon. I'll call you back. Then I click the phone and ask our girl outside to cut off all calls while Mr. Thomas is with me. This never fails to please my caller. Before he leaves, if he is not in too big a hurry, I make it a point to introduce him around the office to people who have helped serve him, or if they're likely to serve him if he becomes a client. I know many salesmen who find this an excellent opportunity to take customers through their offices, plant or factory, and show them how their goods are produced. In summary, first, sell the appointment. Second, sell your product. That is in the words of Frank Betcher, and we have a special guest speaker coming on the show next week, and you will find out more information next week, so I would strongly encourage you to listen and learn from his extensive knowledge. That will wrap it up for business. This show is a proud member of the techpodcast.com network. Find out more about this and other shows at www.techpodcast.com. Techpodcast.com. If it's tech, it's here. Well, today in the technology world, found out that the new IBM chip moves data at light speed. Well, today IBM showed off some optical transceivers capable of data transfers at speeds of 160 gigabytes per second. This technology could allow for extremely fast downloads of consumer content, like high-definition movies, though the company says it has no consumer-related departments planned. However, IBM has left the possibility open for others to move the technology in that 
direction. Of this tiny optical transceiver chipset, it can move data at speeds of up to 160 gigabyte per second, which is eight times faster than previous optical components. This new chipset generates fast data transfer rates because it uses light pulses to move data instead of sending electrons over wires. If the infrastructure is in place to do it, the new technology can enable one to download a typical feature-length high-definition film in a single second, according to IBM. For most consumers, however, this new technology is only a glimpse of the future. The first use of this technology will most likely show up in business computing solutions well before consumers get a chance to move movies at the speed of light. And the achievement here is to pack an incredible amount of aggregate bandwidth into a very small optical transceiver chipset. Mark Taubenblatt, senior editor of IBM's Optical Communications Group at IBM's T.J. Watson Research Center, he said the chipset is only 3.25 by 5.25 millimeters. And from an IBM standpoint, we're interested in making ever more powerful computer systems, and to do that you've got to connect up with the microprocessors in a system with ever-increasing bandwidth. And as the microprocessors increase in performance, you've got to connect them with bandwidth to match that. And that starts getting increasingly difficult. What we're looking at is an era where we're going to have to hook up microprocessors almost entirely with optics. Well, instead of connecting high-powered computer systems with optical cables, IBM is shooting to connect at the microprocessor level, essentially in the same card. The new chipset would appear first in IBM's supercomputer solutions but it will take a few years. Well, even though the chipset would support downloading a movie in a single second, there are many hurdles to overcome before anyone will see household use. An interconnect such as this wouldn't really have much, if anything, to do with movie download times. Gordon Half, an analyst for Illuminata, said, Those are limited by the bandwidth of the pipes in a teleco or cable company infrastructure especially the last mile to home or business. The connections within a server, optical or copper, serial or parallel really have nothing to do with the speed of these networks. And while IBM doesn't intend to do any consumer-related development, the company says the low-cost, small-size nature of the chipset would allow others to build on it. In terms of the technologies that have gone into this optical chipset, the CMOS technology is here, the lasers, the photodiodes, the relatively well-known solar technology, all of it exists today and a market could develop that's more integrated with fiber and it could enable low-cost transceivers in the future, Taubenblatt added. Well, until then, we can only dream about one-second HD movie downloads. Well, what do you think of this? Please give our toll-free comment line a call. That number is 1-866-TMP-2860 or you can email me using the contact form located on the website. I'd like to hear what you think about this, and I might very possibly play it in the next podcast, next show, but that depends. I would like you to send in your comments. And this will wrap up the technology portion of this podcast. I would like to thank you for tuning in to listen to episode 25 of the Taylor Merrick Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, ideas at any time, toll-free line, one 866 EMP 2860 if you want to email me do so using the contact form on the website don't forget about the forum and the chat room very important I'm Taylor Merrick I will see you next week